Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast at CanadaEHX.com by clicking donate. Today's episode is sponsored by the town of Milk River. As usual, when I look at a town's history, I'm going to look at various things in its history rather than a chronological look. So let's begin. Indigenous History As with many other places in southern Alberta, the indigenous were in the area for thousands of years, following the huge bison herds that once roamed over the land. Even today in the Milk River area, there are many places where teepee rings, buffalo bones, and other archaeological evidence of indigenous habitation can be found. For some time, the area was primarily occupied by the Blackfoot people, with the Cree arriving later as they moved west away from the growing presence of Europeans in the east. Also in the area, the Métis were also quite common as more fur traders started to move into and settle in the area. Milk River actually has an abundance of indigenous historical sites near it. Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump, located an hour northwest of Milk River, is one of the oldest, largest, and best-preserved buffalo jumps in the entire world. It's also one of two UNESCO World Heritage Sites within driving distance of Milk River. It was here that the indigenous repeatedly hunted the buffalo for over 6,000 years. Also located roughly an hour northwest of Milk River is the Blackfoot Crossing National Historic Site, which celebrates thousands of years of Blackfoot culture, as well as serving as the gravesite of the legendary indigenous leader, Chief Crowfoot. Located only 30 minutes west of Milk River, you will find the Del Bonita Teepee Ring Site. The Teepee Ring site is a 20-meter high terrace that gives views along the north and south of the river valley. The site consists of several indigenous locations, including 176 teepee rings, 25 stone arcs, and four cairns. Most of the rings are buried in sod, but they typically consisted of thick rock walls of two or three rows of stone. In addition to the rings, there are several large tools at the site's surface, and due to the abundance of rings, it's likely many artifacts are buried in the area. Teepee rings were once very common on the grasslands of Alberta, but the use of agriculture in the province reduced the number of these sites immensely. Within the cluster of teepee rings, the majority, about 70%, consisted of small clusters of one to three teepee rings. 
The entire site appears to represent a campsite for a large social group rather than an extended family camp that were seen elsewhere in the province. Another aspect of the site that helps it stand out is the abundance of bones from animals. Typically, only 9-10% of the artifact assemblance at a site, like this, is bone on the prairie level, but for the terrace site like Del Bonita, the amount is 65%. The larger teepee rings with multiple levels of rocks also suggests that the site was used for long periods of time as more rocks were needed for larger teepees. This likely means that the site was a stopping place or gathering place for weeks or even months on end. Due to all of this, it's likely that the site has many artifacts buried within it that could shed light on the people who used it and for how long it was used. There are also few modern intrusions in the viewplane, giving a clear look at what the site must have looked like for the indigenous who visited there over the course of centuries. The site was made a provincial historic site on August 30, 2007. Arguably one of the most interesting sites located near Milk River, though, is the Writing on Stone Provincial Park. Which brings me to my next section. Writing on Stone Provincial Park If you drive 44 kilometers east of Milk River, you will come to one of the most unique and important historical sites in not only Alberta, but Canada. It is Writing on Stone Provincial Park, and as of 2019, it is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site and a National Historical Site of Canada. There is evidence in the park that the indigenous inhabited or passed through the area as long as 9,000 years ago. It is believed that the Blackfoot and other area tribes created the rock carvings and paintings over the centuries. But other indigenous groups like the Shoshone did so as well and may have created some of the art. Most of the artwork seems to have been made by those moving through the area, but evidence of a medicine wheel and teepee rings shows that there was some permanent settlement there from time to time. In all, there are over 50 petroglyph sites and, and thousands of pieces of artwork. One interesting aspect of the artwork is that you can see the arrival of the Europeans beginning around 1730, with artwork of horses, metal goods, and guns appearing. Pictures of hunters on horseback and warriors without body shields begins to appear around this time. In 1957, the Writing on Stone Park was created, and in 1977 it was designated as an archaeological preserve. A Northwest Mounted Police outpost, built to replace the original one that was destroyed by a fire in 1918, was built between 1973 and 1975 and is now an attraction in the park. In 1981, a portion of the park was named a provincial park to protect it from the increasing impact of vandalism and graffiti. This protection of the art makes writing on stone one of the largest concentrations of rock art in the North American plains. The site is also sacred to the Blackfoot and many other indigenous tribes. In 2007, a new visitor's center with views of the valley opened. Randy Bottle is a Blackfoot elder. He has been taking people on tours of the Writing on Stone Provincial Park for seven years. In Blackfoot, it's called a Sunni Peak, which means to mark or draw. This is his second season as a guide for Alberta Parks. He agreed to take APTN National News on a tour to see some of what Writing on Stone Provincial Park offers. Even though we get visitors around the world, I come here, they're fascinated with the culture and also the stories and, and, and also the experiences that they have here, what they see, uh, what the ancestors have left behind, and how we can share that with the world. 60,000 people visit here each year. That number may be going up as Writing on Stone has now become a United Nations World Heritage Site. 
the sixth such site in Alberta and 20th in Canada. What people want to see are the writings and pictographs carved into the sandstone about 2,000 years ago. That is about 100 generations in the past, when ancient Rome was at its peak. Well, just think thousands of years ago when my ancestors were traveling through here, what they would think in the future that this is what we're going to be learning from them. And all this information that was left behind was actually for the future, for us to learn from that and all the messages and the lessons that go with the, uh, the markings that have been made on, on the rock. Bottle shows off some incredible pictographs. The drawing of, of the buffalo. And for us, it's, a, it's very important because the buffalo is also a way of life for us. That's one of the greatest resources that we ever had. And everything that we needed for survival came from one, uh, one animal. A beaver, drawings of themselves, arrows, and hundreds of rocks with these amazing artifacts from the past. The World Heritage Site was made possible by the Mulcacan Cultural and Heritage Society. Blackfoot elder Martin Heavyhead just returned from Baku, Azerbaijan, where writing on stone was officially declared a World Heritage Site. After 22 years of work to get it recognized, the hard work paid off. It sort of unreal at the moment, but slowly getting down to back down to earth. <laughs> about the whole thing, yeah. I think we're very fortunate and blessed that we still have them here, so that way we can learn from the past. And um, I call this place my, my own university because of what I'm learning from all the messages that have been left behind by the ancestors. Chris Stewart, APTN National News, Rutting on Stone, World Heritage Site, Alberta. Here's Mayor Peggy Losey. Well, it has just been designated um, in the past year as a World Heritage Site. And it's, it's a sedimentary hoodoos. There's lots of hoodoos out there. And there's lots of, um, the, the, the native people used it as a sacred site. And, and uh, they have lot, they have carved into the sedimentary rock. And there's lots of carvings and you can do tours and check it out. Or there's a section of the hoodoos where you can climb around on them and, or you can swim at the beach at the, um, down at the river. You can tube down to the beach. Um, there's lots of wonderful campsites. There's an interpretive center up there with um, a lot of historical facts and interesting stuff and yeah, it's really a neat place. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms, and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. 
For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to explorenet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The Milk River The Milk River, from which the town gets its name, obviously, actually has a very interesting history, and it is a great place for recreation. The name was given to it by Captain Meriwether Lewis on the Lewis and Clark Expedition, and he described it as such, quote, The water of this river possesses a peculiar whiteness being the color of a cup of tea with the admixture of a teaspoon of milk from the color of its water. We called it Milk River. The milky color to the water comes from the fine-grained sediments due to the erosion of the clay-rich rocks in the Milk River Basin in southern Alberta. Interestingly enough, when the exploration came through, the Milk River drainage was part of the United States as part of the Louisiana Purchase, meaning the future area of Milk River was American. In 1818, the Milk River watershed north of the 49th North Latitude became part of British North America in exchange for a parcel of land at the Red River. This is just one of the reasons why the community has the motto, Under Eight Flags, something I will touch on later. Founding of the Community The founding of Milk River could be attributed to the arrival of the railroad, but it might be more accurate to say that it all comes down to a person named Mr. Satterley. When the railroad came through, there was only a section house and a water tank. The section house was called Milk River, after the river nearby. As people arrived, they were dropped off at the section house, and they would go off to their future homesteads to begin a new life. In 1906, one year after Alberta became a province, Mr. Satterley arrived with a load of lumber with the intention of building a library barn and a house. The people who also arrived at the time quickly purchased his lumber from him, and then he ordered more lumber, and he quickly created his business, one of the first in Milk River. On April 15, 1908, the post office was established out of the Fitzmaurice store, with Oscar Fitzmaurice serving as the first postmaster. Fitzmaurice was actually involved in various things in the community, including serving as a storekeeper, postmaster, and a land agent. That same year, the first restaurant was opened by a Norwegian woman who had come to the United States in 1900, and after her husband had died, came up to the Milk River area. In an effort to promote the area to hopeful homesteaders, Harry Quinn, a local real estate developer, put the following in the Lethbridge paper, quote, Sunny southern Alberta lands in the famous Milk River Valley. Choice farmlands within our rapidly growing new town, ranging from $12 to $20 per acre. 
abundance of rainfall, shallow wells with the finest spring water from 12 to 30 feet, extensive coal mines three and a half miles from town. Information gleefully given. In 1910, a railway station was built along with a section house that had the only telephone in the entire community, and that station became the property of the CPR in 1912. Bootlegging For a very brief period of time, Milk River was a very popular place for Americans to visit, at least for one particular reason. After Alberta ended its prohibition run in the early 1920s, and before Montana repealed prohibition in 1933, bootlegging from Alberta to Montana was very big business. While there were border patrols conducted, catching people actually smuggling the booze was not always easy. Typically, a bootlegger was caught when their truck broke down in a conspicuous location, making arresting them very easy. Another telltale sign of a bootlegger was if someone was seen frequently on both sides of the border, or if the driver would take off at great speed. That typically meant they were smuggling alcohol into the United States. For many bootleggers, it was better to take it slow, play things cool, and take the back roads and the coffin crossing, where there was less traffic. The Border Patrol would eventually start to crack down heavily on bootleggers, with Reg Barrows counting 26 bullet holes in a Studebaker parked in Harry Watkins' garage once. Several early prominent citizens of Milk River were also involved in the practice, and one local woman was known to carry a brisk trade in alcohol. The police tried to find evidence and catch her in the act, but were never able to until one day when they lifted the lid of her piano and found, inside, several neatly stacked bottles of Canadian whiskey. The piano had been stripped inside, so it was just a shell. Kids were known to occasionally find hiding places where liquor had previously been, or in some cases, was still hidden. Helen Loft relates a story about a smuggler. Quote, When Lyle Leffingwell was a little fellow, his job on Saturdays was to clean the chicken house. Having done the dirty work, he went to the field to an old straw stack to get fresh straw for the hen's nest and the floor. When he thrust the pitchfork into the stack... There was no doubt what the fork hit. He removed some straw and sure enough, there appeared two gunny sacks filled with bottles of whiskey. Of course he took them home and he tells his dad and older brother stayed happy all summer long. The Devil's Coulee Dinosaur Heritage Museum In 1997, 10 fossilized dinosaur eggs believed to come from the hadrosaur were found at Devil's Coulee. Since they were not the first fossils found in what was called Fossil Coulee, a museum was established in Warner, near to Milk River. The story goes that a local woman named Wendy Sloboda was hiking along the Milk River Ridge when she came across what she believed to be dinosaur eggshells. The finding was confirmed by Dr. Len Hills at the University of Calgary and Dr. Philip Curie at the Royal Tyrrell Museum of Paleontology. Based on the discovery, teams of paleontologists came to the area and began to find hydrosaur eggs with the embryonic material still inside them. If you go to Milk River, you will see at their visitor center some very interesting dinosaur statues. And I had the pleasure of seeing one just a couple years ago and took a great picture in front of it. Here's Mayor Peggy Losey. Wendy Sloboda, I, I don't know if you've heard of Wendy Sloboda. She's a paleontologist and she's quite famous for her dinosaur finds. And she had, she, this is the first site that she had ever found. And I don't know, she was something like 16 years old when she found it or whatever. And they weren't telling anybody where it was. 
So at the same time, they were putting up the VIC and they knew that there was going to be dinosaurs somewhere. So they put in the hoodoos and the dinosaurs. And then it turned out that the site was actually west of Warner, <laughs> not Milk <laughs> River. <laughs> but um, I mean, there still are a lot of dinosaurs around here. And Wendy has found a lot of new species. They, they recently named one after her, Wendiceratops or something like it's a cousin to the Triceratopses and, and uh, there's a, a Dedasaurus because um, down by riding on Stone Park, this, uh, the Adets have a farm and they found a, a new dinosaur species down there and then they named it the Adetosaurus. Or... Under eight flags. When you journey around Canada, most places have been under just a couple flags. Maybe the flag of France or the Hudson's Bay flag, perhaps the Canadian red ensign, and of course, the maple leaf. For Milk River, the land the community is on can lay claim to being under eight flags since the 1600s. The first flag was the flag of France from 1682 to 1762, when the Treaty of Fontainebleau ended the Anglo-Spanish War, and Spain was given the country known as Louisiana. This ran from New Orleans all the way up to future Milk River. From 1762 to 1800, the Spanish Empire's flag was over the territory, but in 1800, it was under the flag of the French Republic. In 1803, the Louisiana Purchase was conducted by the United States of America, and from that year until 1818, the area of Milk River was part of the United States. In 1818, it went under the flag of the Hudson's Bay Company after the land trade between the United Kingdom and America. It would remain under that flag until 1869, when the British Empire flag flew over the land until 1945, when the Canadian Red Ensign became the flag of the country. This lasted until 1965 when the new Canadian Maple Leaf flag was introduced, the most recent flag to fly over the land of Milk River. A cairn was created to honour the day when Canada received a new flag, and two years later for Canada's centennial. The rocks in the cairn come from many parts of North America, with petrified wood that had been found along the Milk River being used. When finished, it was 37 tons, ran 12 feet long, 6.5 feet high, and 3.5 feet thick. Here's Mayor Peggy Losey. So um, the under eight flags is, is very literal. Um, this part of Southern Alberta has been under eight flags. Bay Company, um, England, France, uh, the United States owned this property for a while. Canada, of course. But um, at one point or other in history, each of those each of those flags represents who owned this part of the country. Interesting stories. One thing I love about researching small towns is the unique stories you can discover, especially in the family histories. And I wanted to relate some of those stories here. Archibald Sinclair was born in Scotland and came to Canada as a young man to teach in Ontario. As a teacher in Ontario, he would teach a man by the name of Arthur Meehan, who would go on to become the Prime Minister of Canada in the 1920s. Sinclair would eventually settle in the Milk River area during the same time his former pupil was leading the nation. Milk River holds an important distinction in Canadian history because it was at Milk River, the area of it, that Chief Crowfoot 
and the Northwest Mounted Police Commissioners with the government met for the first time. This meeting happened in 1874 as the Northwest Mounted Police conducted their march west. And lastly, when the first Milk River School opened its doors on January 10, 1910, 47 students were enrolled, and the door was opened to all. But Vern Hunt rode into the school on his horse, resulting in his prompt expulsion from the school, along with that of his horse. Here's Mayor Peggy Losey. We have an, an awesome little museum here in town with the history of Milk River. We're in proximity to the uh, World Heritage Site Riding on Stone Park. And the Milk River itself is lovely for um, tubing down uh, years that we have water in the river, which we will have from now on because they fixed it. <laughs> and uh, there's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm never bored. I've always got something to do. And um, we have some cute little shops here and people could do, you know, a little um original shopping it's yeah we have a, a a little lady's clothing store we have gift shops that actually feature local or artisans well i i i think they would they could expect that they're going to get some friendly faces and uh you know uh just a, a just a you know it's great to be here good food i think we have some pretty good restaurants here and uh, they could stop and have a bite to eat and a little shopping. And, and if they're into history, there's definitely a lot of that around here for them to enjoy. Absolutely. And, or they can, you know, or recreationally, they can, they can do the, there's a nice little nine hole golf course here. There's the river to travel uh, tube down. I hope you enjoyed that look at the history of Milk River. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website. You'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful people have. Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy. Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.